Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We look ahead to the Abu Dhabi Formula 2 Championship decider and hear from points leader George Russell. Formula 2 Championship title will be decided in Abu Dhabi this weekend, with 2019 Williams Formula 1 driver George Russell leading the championship from Alex Albon. So with both F1 titles already wrapped up, this is the biggest crown still at stake on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix weekend. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look ahead to the title shootout is Autosports F2 correspondent Jack Benyon. Now Jack, it's been about two months since you were doing anything in F2, because there's a, there's a big gap in the calendar. Can you actually remember anything about what's going on? Or? Of course I can, Ed. I'm a, a model professional and always in tune to the championship that I'm covering. So you can remember you know, who's driving, what the situation is? I, I think roughly I can remember who the drivers are. Um, what teams they're driving for gets a bit shaky, because you know in F2 there's usually a bit of a shake-up in the mid-season. We see some drivers moving teams and things like that. So uh, yeah, I think I can just about remember the uh, the teams, the calendar and the and the drivers, although I won't recognise them when I, by the time I get to Abu Dhabi, because it would have been so long since I've seen them all. <laughs> well, in that case, you've passed the audition and we'll let you continue on this podcast. Can you set the scene for us? It's George Russell versus Alex Alban. So we're going into the championship finale now with George Russell on 248 points, Alex Albon on 211, so uh, a 37-point lead and there's 48 to play for. 
So we've not seen anyone get anywhere near 48 points in a weekend, to be honest, Ed, for, for quite some time. Because you need to win both races, get yeah exactly so it's a it's a very difficult score to uh total and it's not been done this year i think the i think the best score this year was done by george actually and it's around 36 uh, and obviously it's a 37 point lead so it's a it's definitely an uphill task for alex alban and if george can outscore alex by 12 points over the course of the weekend then he'll become the champion so uh yeah it's gonna be an interesting one um george has always been very good in abu dhabi whenever he's been there uh gp3 especially last year who's hopping out of uh the uh, the FP1 in, in Formula One and, and straight into uh, straight into GP3. Um, it's a track he, he enjoys very much. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the how the battle kind of unfolds over the weekend because George and, and Alex are very good friends off the track. Spend a lot of time together. They do they did a preseason training camp together and um, you know are very good friends. Spend a lot of time together over the course of uh, an F2 weekend. So if there's uh, if George has some sort of retirement in the first race and Alex can can win or score a, a big you know big number of points, it'll be very interesting to see what George's attitude is is like. Um, uh, you know knowing that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's 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 closer than it was last year. Put it this way. Because because we weren't uh, we weren't bringing the F2 championship down to the to the last round last year because Giles Clare had already wrapped it up. So a little bit more interesting, and it's uh, it's quite reflective of the year actually. The uh, the racing on track has been fantastic all year, and we've seen some some brilliant battles between some some very highly rated young drivers. So uh, to have a, a championship showdown at the last round is is fitting. It would have been nice to for it to be a bit closer, but uh, you know you can't you can't uh, play everything out as ex- exactly as you want to. And so you'd have to say. We know George Russell, he's a very kind of collected driver. He's very, he knows what he needs to do. He's very good at executing the race weekends. He doesn't strike me ever as the kind of driver who's going to go to go to pieces. So it almost feels like it's kind of George Russell versus bad luck, isn't it? Absolutely. I'd, I'd say that's definitely the way it's played out. Um, and, and no sort of, no knock against Alex Alban because he's been fantastic this year. Um, definitely one of the, the kind of standout drivers, I'd say, in, in this season, judging by what he'd done last year. You know, he wasn't, particularly highly favoured coming into this season but he's worked hard with the Dams team um, suffered uh, you know it's a common thing in motorsport but Alex was suffering for budget um, but unusually sort of three or four rounds into the season you know he wasn't actually confirmed for the the F2 season until after the Barcelona race so you know he had three rounds in the bag before he's actually you know had his uh, schedule confirmed so he was almost fighting for his career from the start of the season never mind uh, across the whole of the season so um, no, definitely no slant on him. He's had a, a couple of bits of bad luck over the course of the season, but you know George has been the the standout driver in the championship and one hundred percent deserves to win it. Um, he's had some some very bad luck at the start of the year. Um, he was taken out of a race in Baku by Nick De Vries while while leading. Um, he had uh, throttle sensor issues, clutch issues, um, a clutch issue in Monaco, which meant he didn't get any practice time. He'd never seen the track before. Um, which you know really set him back for qualifying, qualified badly, and, and crashed in both the races. That's the only real tarnish on the on the record, really, when it comes to to George. And you could argue a lot of that was down to not getting a lot of practice time. So, from from where we're at now, um, I'm surprised George hasn't wrapped it up already. Um, I think it. I don't think anyone would be upset if George had wrapped up the championship already, based on the the bad luck that he has had, uh, and he's won more races than anybody else. Um, which is, you know, a good marker of someone being being good in a season. But he's also been massively consistent. You know, if we look back to to Monaco in May, um, after that he wasn't outside of the top seven unless he'd had reliability issues. So he's been very consistent, scoring points in in both races, in the sprint race and the uh, and the feature race as well. Quite often finishing first and second in the in the two races across the weekend, which is quite a difficult feat when you consider the sprint race grid is reversed uh, top eight. So yeah, he's been he's been consistently the best driver of the year, I'd say. 
And of course, this championship head-to-head is significant because we know George Russell is going to be in Formula 1 next year with Williams. Uh, Alex Alban is very, very close to getting his graduation to Formula 1 with Toro Rosso. So this is two drivers who we're going to see on the Formula 1 grid this year. And of course, third in the championship, Lando Norris, will also be there with, with McLaren. So this is, this is a significant season in that regard. I think it's, uh, it's probably one of the best grids F2's had in a, in a long time. Uh, you know, I'd be quite happy to argue that, that case with anyone. Uh, the, the top three especially uh, have been particularly fantastic this year. You've got to say um, new cars set against, well, the, we've not talked about much yet. The, the reliability of the cars has, has been difficult. Uh, but what we have had is the car almost even in the playing field in the sense that, you know, drivers who've been in F2 for three or four years uh, which has been the case previously winning the championship um, obviously things have been evened out this year and everyone's got the same car and everyone's learning as they go difficult thing to do and it's almost even the playing field to to allow the best drivers to come to the top so you know in, out of the top three we've got two F2 rookies we've got Lando Norris in, in third who can't win the championship now um, but also George Russell who's a, a rookie coming straight from from GP3 so um, yeah, the, the the new car has really evened the playing field and even outside of the top three, really, um, we've seen some very good performances. What what we haven't seen moving back towards the back end of the top 10 is the cons- consistency that the likes of, of Lando, George, Alex have, have offered. Um, Nick DeVries and Artem Markov, who are just outside the, the top three, very you know, blisteringly quick and on, on, on occasion. Um, you know, Nick, probably the only person who's been um, you know, flat out quicker than George Russell when everything's been good for George uh, over the course of a weekend uh, in in Hungary. Um, although George did have a couple of problems in Hungary, so I've probably undone my own point there. <laughs> um, but Artem as well has had a couple of very strong performances. Monaco stands out as as one that you know he was he was very quick there. Bahrain he had a he had a good weekend, um, rebounding from a difficult qualifying. So yeah, I, I think what what has made the top three. So brilliant has been their consistency as much as their, you know, it's been a blend of, of speed and consistency, which, you know, when you say out loud is what you need to win any championship. But when you see these guys fighting with so many outside factors, like the, you know, the car trouble, um, you know, an equalised field, everyone's in the same car, everyone's up against the, you know, it's how a, should, a single make formula should be, isn't it really? You know, um, everyone equalised. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a difficult year for, for, for many people who probably thought they were going to be a lot higher up than they were. And we've seen some surprises, people being higher up than they, they probably should have been or you would have been expected at the start of the year. So it's been interesting to follow that story. Should we hear from one of the title contenders? I spoke to George Russell earlier about his approach to the Abu Dhabi weekend and how things have gone so far this season. George, you have a 37-point lead heading into Abu Dhabi, only 48 points to play for, I think it is. Given the strength of your position, will that change your approach in any way? No, not really, to be honest. Obviously, we've had a fantastic year and I think the best way going into a scenario like this is just to continue doing what you're doing. So um, I think hopefully the only sort of worry in the back of my mind is obviously the reliability issues that everybody in F2 has faced this season. But if we don't have any of that, I think we're in a very good position. And obviously it makes sense to go in with the same approach you want to get the best results. But how hard is it actually to get into that mindset? Because you kind of, the great art, isn't it, is for a driver to treat that weekend like any other yeah, when actually sure. it's, it's really in the back of your mind, I guess you you know what's uh, on the cards. Let's say um, I've, I've been in the position a few times, you know, going into a final race uh, trying to clinch the championship. So even from the karting days, I've, I've got experience of how that felt and just doing your own thing. So I think once you sit in the in the car, you often forget about so many other things, and uh, people often say, "Oh, that's a bit strange to to uh, relate to," but let's say. 
you're sat in the car and you feel like you need to go to the toilet as soon as the lights go out you don't even realise and you can do the whole race coming afterwards go to the podium whatever and you still don't even realise that two hours ago you need you was bursting for the toilet and suddenly you don't so it's probably something similar that you sat in the car you think about the championship but as soon as the lights go out your uh, game face is on let's see Unusually enough, too, there's an enormous gap between the penultimate round and the last one. I think it's it's two months from Sochi yeah, to, sure. to Abu Dhabi. How difficult has that been, especially with the fact there's a fair few distractions going on with getting the <laughs> Williams drive? So it's, it must seem like an age ago, but you can't, it's almost like you're coming back to something after an off-season, I guess. Oh, yeah, ways. massively. It's, it is very bizarre, to be honest. Um, but I've, I've been fortunate. I've been attending all of the Grand Prix in the meantime. Obviously, I've been extremely busy with the Williams thing all being announced. Uh, various media activities, simulator work for, for Mercedes still preparing and trying to help them win the championship with their, which they've done. So it's actually flown by for me, absolutely flown by. So if I wasn't in the position I am and let's say a couple of the other drivers who aren't affiliated with F1 teams, I think it must have felt like a, a year ago when the, when the last race was. Uh, and when it comes to the Abu Dhabi weekend, obviously the last few F1 weekends you've been working with Williams, are you going to kind of disconnect yourself from Williams for that weekend just to have sole focus on F2? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I've done this season with um, with Mercedes. We've kind of had a bit of a unwritten rule that I'll only head over on a Sunday if I've won the race. So um, I think, yeah, slightly different dynamic this weekend, but it's it's been really great spending Brazil and Mexico with Williams, uh, firstly, to get to know everybody and integrate myself into the team, but also just to learn how they work, really. So it's not overly important for me to spend any time actually with them in Abu Dhabi because I've already got the two race weekends uh, experience. You mentioned the, the risk of car problems. You could conceivably have had the title already wrapped up. When you look back, is that in any way frustrating that obviously you had Paul Ricard, you had the, I think it was sensor problem, hungry, a clutch problem yeah. that, that cost you a reasonable amount of points. When you look back, does that frustrate you or, or is it just part um, of the course in any racing season? I think the one incident which frust- frustrates me was in Baku when we were extremely fast. We had the race pretty much sewn up and then a, a safety car came out with, I think, eight laps remaining or something. And I had a coming together at the safety car restart with uh, with the freeze. And, you know, I lost 27 points from that we uh, from that one race. And I think that's the only thing which potentially I could have done something differently. That, that's the one thing of this year which I just say to myself, maybe I could have... I don't think I was at fault for the incident, but you've always got to look at yourself and say, is there something I could have done different to avoid it? And there probably was something I could have done different to still have won that race. So that's when I look back on, but, you know, as ifs and buts, I think, um, you know, Alex Albon's also had his fair share of issues and we can all say if this, if that, but I think it's almost equaled itself out. Um, just for frustrating thing for me is that I've always had these problems at the worst points. For example, the first race of the weekend in Budapest, and that obviously carries over to where you start the second race or lap one in practice of Monaco. Never been to Monaco before. Didn't do any laps in practice. And that's the only race weekend where qualifying is half the length. So only one set of tyres and, you know, it's just just happened at the worst points, really. It's not happened uh, on a track where you can come back and overtake or whatever. So, like I said, ifs and buts, but we're in this position now and regardless, we've had an amazing season. Looking at the season as a whole, do you feel there was a point where things really came together? You've been strong all year, or was there a point where you felt you began to get onto onto the role that's taking you to to kind of the brink of the title? I think Paul Ricard race two for me was a a standout race. Um, 
I had a throttle sensor failure at the start of a race and I missed the first three laps. And I went out and I just started trying things um, from my driving and just, I had very little experience at the time of the F2 Pirelli tyre. And I actually learned a huge amount from that race because I had nothing to lose. I was three laps down and I could just kind of do what I wanted really. And then I went into the following races and I think I got, yeah, uh, I was on the podium for the next five races and pole from the, the next two. And I think that was a standout point for myself and the team that one, I really understood what I needed to do to get the most out of the car in a race situation. And as a team, we understood what we needed to do to uh, to do that as well. So it's quite interesting sometimes that these negative results or races actually have a positive effect. And what do you make of your title rival, Alex Alderman? He's had a particularly strong run as the season's gone on. He's, he's really got himself into into contention. How, how tough a rival is he? No, Alex is a, is a great driver, I think. He's had, um, apart from his campaign in GP3, he's had a very tough um, junior career, to be honest. And I think, in my opinion, he's probably one of, or if not the most underrated driver um, in junior formulas, to be honest. And I'm not too sure of the latest with the whole Toro Rosso gossip, but I think it would be fantastic for him to get that opportunity because I really do think he's a great driver and he uh, and he really deserves the opportunity. When you look at the situation going into the weekend, in a way you could argue that Alex has an easier task as well. He's he's the outsider, he's got a long way to go. He just has to go there, get pole, yeah, win races, charge in the lose, second yeah. race. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think that in, in just looking at that right, that weekend as as a sort of single entity that almost makes it easier for him than for you because you'll you're bound to be at a point in the races where you're thinking oh well how do the points yeah, work exactly out? yeah yeah potentially he knows exactly what he has to do he just has to go there and perform to his maximum every single time but in my mind if i go there and i put it on pole i know i've got nothing to worry about or if i if i'm leading a race i've got nothing to worry about so to get that thought out of my mind i just got to do the best job possible and i guess it's always the thing isn't it you know that you need something to go pretty badly wrong not to get the points obviously you have had a weekend this year where you yeah. haven't scored uh in the race in monaco so things can go wrong and, and get away from you so i guess that's the the sort of fear isn't it trying to just keep no, it out is. of the way of misfortune it is i think i'm flying to my uh, to art this uh, this evening actually i think that's going to be a discussion we're going to have a lot is you know we've just got to get through the weekend we uh, can't make any silly mistakes make sure the car is always you know the the floor height is correct. We don't wear the plank too much. The the weight limit's right. We don't, you know, we don't get excluded for a silly mistake or we just make sure that the reliability side of things are as best prepared as possible. Because ultimately, I think, you know, like you said, we've only had one weekend this year where we've scored no points. And again, that was due to a reliability issue. So uh, apart from that, we should be, we're in, we're in a very good position. And from a career standpoint, whether you win the title or not, you're in Formula One next year. But how, how important is it to be able just to sort of underline how, how strong <laughs> you've been this year to be able to go into F1 next year as the, as the Formula Two champion? Yeah, for me, it's extremely important. I think, you know, you're only ever going to have this opportunity once to, to win Formula Two in your rookie season. So for me, to go back on the stats in years to come and to say that I, I won the F2 championship off the back of winning... GP3 again in my rookie year I think would be incredible and to be among the names who who did win it in their rookie years you know Hamilton, Rosberg, Pulkenberg a great bunch to be uh, associated with. And I guess it also means you, you kind of almost complete junior single seaters don't you because you've had a, yeah. a fantastic rise and I guess it'd just be nice to 
get the full set as it were. Top it off, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, it's. I don't want to get too carried away on myself, but it would be absolutely fantastic and uh, would be great to end my junior career on, on a high, let's say. Well, all the best for Abu Dhabi and thanks very much for your Thank time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Well, Jack, I think it's clear to everyone, George Russell's very sensible, level-headed, good, methodical approach. The thing that interested me is is when I asked him about the fact he could have sewn up the title and mentioned the the two significant uh, mechanical problems, Hungary and and France, he actually jumped straight to Baku, which was the the incident with Nick de Vries, which wasn't his fault. But he said, oh, actually, maybe that was something I could have done something differently to to avoid it happening. And I think that says quite a lot about George Russell, his approach and his mentality, that he picked on something that wasn't his fault, but that maybe he could have played his cards better to prevent it happening. He's, he's ultra-analytical of, of everything he does, um, and he's ultra-analytical of everything that the team does as well. Um, it's it's something I've played with in terms of how you describe it, um, in, in sort of describing his approach to how he works with the team. Uh, and I think demanding is too strong a word. Uh, but he, he's not scared to say which direction he thinks the team should go in. And he's not afraid to put himself out there and say, this might be a, an odd thing to suggest, but this is what we should do. And it's paid off quite a bit this year. Um, and and playing into that as well is one of the big things that George has done this year, although he has had those difficult situations earlier in the year where he had some reliability issues, is they've got back out on track when they've had those reliability issues and they've used that time to experiment with the tyres, with setup, things like that. And you know, he's picked that out on quite a few occasions this year, speaking to him as something that's really helped him on the, you know, the middle run of the season where he won so many races and, and did so well. Um, in places like the Red Bull Ring, Silverstone, uh, that that kind of run he had there was was phenomenal, and a lot of that was down to the work that he did during that period where the car wasn't perhaps performing as it should have been. But instead of just parking the car up and and sort of saying right that's it, that's the end of our weekend, they've got back out and worked with setup and things like that. So yeah, he's very he's very analytical about how he goes about things. It is interesting he goes back to that Baku incident because personally I don't think there was anything he could have done differently there because. He was unlucky that we had a late a late safety. Well, I'm not sure if it was a late safety car, but we had the safety car which bunched up the field. He was, you know, he's pretty clear and looked quite, you know, it looked like he was going to win the race quite comfortably. And then Nick tried the the move down the inside, which at, at most tracks probably wouldn't have been, you know, he wouldn't have been, uh, it wouldn't have been an outrageous move. But because the inside of the the back of the track there is so um, underused, there was so much dust on the inside, and and as soon as Nick locked up, he he really didn't have any chance to, you know, to not push George off the track so it was uh, an unfortunate incident um, and it is very interesting that George goes back to that because you know I, I don't think anyone would uh, pick a fault with George for that uh, but it's interesting that he goes back to it because you know as far as he concerned, he's concerned almost everything is within his um, within his, his grasp and within his control and the the attitude towards fixing the car when it's when it's been broken and using that time to to set up and things like that is exactly what George is all about. Um, I remember, um, I'm sure he won't mind mind me saying, but if he does, I'm probably going to be in big trouble. Um, but after the um, after the changes that were made to the F2 car in the mid season, we had a new clutch, and the the F2 guys they gave um, a set of tyres to each team and allowed them to test the clutch on a, an airfield or something close to them so that, you know, obviously testing in the season is, is, is banned in F2. It's not allowed. They made a dispensation for, for the teams to be able to test to, to see if this new clutch system worked. And I spoke to numerous drivers afterwards to get an idea of if this has made a, a big difference because it was such a, a talking point at the start of the season, the, the clutch being so difficult to operate. And uh, George is normally... Um, the easiest person in the F2 paddock to to get hold of. He's a uh, he's he's very uh, you know he's fantastic like that. He's really open to to journalists and 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 putting his view across. And he uh, he was the one person who said to me, 
I don't want to speak to you about this. And I was quite taken by surprise, actually, because George is never the kind of person who says no comment. He's always wants to, you know, help you out and give you give you the the inside line and things. But you know, he did. He was so um, he was so set on gaining an advantage from this new clutch system. They didn't want to give anything away by speaking to me and then that getting out into the press. So I think that tells you a little bit about how competitive George Russell is and how serious he's thinking about everything. You know, that's not that's there was nothing really in that new clutch system that could have been a massive advantage to a competitor, but he was so sort of guarded of what they were, what his team were doing that he didn't want to give anything away. And I think that tells you almost exactly why he's been so successful in his career and also why he's now going to Formula One. Well, exactly. That's played a key part in him, in going to Williams. There's lots of fast drivers around, as you said, plenty in the, in the F2 field, but that approach both allows you to have the overall season success. This, this should be his, his third junior single seater titles. He won BRDC F4 and GP3. And then obviously F2 is, is the next one. But it just it allows you to just get everything out of every possibility, every opportunity. And you can really see that in, in his approach. We should talk a, a little bit more about Alex Albon and, and what he's achieved because he's, he's one of those drivers who for the past few years has been f- not massively under the radar, but he's not the first driver that springs to mind. You know, the George Russells, the Lando Norrises, so you get talked up a lot and justifiably so. But Alex Albon, particularly after the fact his start to the season wasn't wasn't brilliant, a few races in while he was still sorting out his the rest the, the funds for the rest of the campaign, you wouldn't have said, yeah, he's he's in the title fight. But he's he's kind of put together this great run to get to get right in there, even if he is the the outsider. He's his biggest problem this year has probably been race pace, and and Dams uh, as a whole has struggled with that with with Nicholas Latifi as well. Um, you mentioned Alex last year. You know he's tenth in in the F two points not someone who was really considered a, a championship contender. When you look at some of the names who, who were involved in, in F2 this year, there was a lot of, you know, people who, you know, it'd be pretty easy to pick a top 10. Um, but with Alex finishing 10th last year, you might think, oh, I'll rule him out. But what he has done this year is, his outright pace has been phenomenal. You know, had, we saw him have three poles in a, in a row to, you know, almost at the start of the season. Um, he, he's won races. He's won more races than London Norris has. Um, I think he's been really key in moving this Dams team forward and helping them to understand what they were doing wrong in the races. Um, mainly on the tyres, really. They really struggled with the tyres around the mid midpoint of the season and Alex really suffered for points in that sort of midpoint of the season. Um, but I think probably Alex's big turning point of this season was was Monaco when uh, they had the incident with Nick DeRees entering the pit lane. Alex seemed to take a, you know, a race in line from the safety car into the pit, so started quite wide. Uh, and Nick thought Alex was staying out because he'd gone so wide and went up the inside and they collided and that took them both basically well they I don't think both retired but it took them both out of the points and that was a key point for Alex because he was leading that race and, and looked quite comfortable at that point and that took two races out of his uh, you know out of his points that he probably would have you know had a big points haul so yeah Alex really one of the most improved drivers this year without a shadow of a doubt uh, I don't think like we said earlier anyone would have been expecting him to be fighting so you know so close at the front of the field um, but he's worked hard over the winter. I mentioned earlier they, they had a training camp over over the winter, which helped Alex out a little bit. Um, but he's, I think he's become more assertive in his uh, in his approach. Um, and you know it must be difficult when you're at a team like ART, like he was last year, to tell them what to do. You know we know all about their history and how many championships they've won, especially in GP3. They've won pretty much all of the the team's championships there, apart from one. And um, you know they've have struggled a little bit in F2 at times, but they're not the kind of team you would think you would go in there and tell them they're doing everything wrong and they need to completely change what they're doing. But 
maybe he's found that a little bit easier with Dams or maybe he's learned from last year and thought, you know, I need to I need to really stand up here for what I believe in and, and say where we need to go with this car and, and take a good direction with it. And, you know, if you look at Nicholas Atifi, he was one of the, you know, back end of last season, it looked like he was really coming to the fore and it was looked like he was going to be a, a real championship contender this year. Then yes, he's had his struggles, but Alex has, you know, completely seen him off and and, and really been the, the team leader in Dams. So very impressive year from him. Um, and, and, you know, he's been so impressive that, you know, the Formula E team decided to take a punt on him and now we could possibly see him in, in Formula 1 as well with, with that falling through. So a uh, very interesting couple of weeks, I think, for, for Alex Alban. And, you know, I think we I think we expect him to be in Toro Rosso next year, but nothing confirmed yet and, and, and nothing we can really um, elaborate on with that. But yeah, it could well be that the top three in F2 are going to F1 next year. Well, talking about the top three, why is Lando Norris not in the title fight? He won the season over in Bahrain. He hasn't won since. He's been quick all season with Carlin so but he's just just fallen short of being in that final final mix up for the the title. Yeah, he, I mean he led the championship for uh, pretty much half distance. Um and at half distance while he was leading the championship claimed that it was the worst season in most racing. So um, that tells you a little bit about how uh, you know we talked about George being analytical of himself. Lando's definitely the 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 hardest person on himself of of anyone. He's very uh he's very self-critical. Uh but yeah, it's been an interesting year for Lando. Uh, very up and down. Um, I think some of us coming into the season were expecting him to to win the championship quite comfortably, especially when he won that race in the you know the start of the year. It was almost a, a bit of a shock at the start of the year to see him win the race uh, in in Bahrain, and we're thinking, oh, it's going to go like this, is it? You know, Lando's going to Lando's going to wipe the floor with everyone. He he was coming in with so much pedigree from from F three, um, and he you know he'd won more championships up to that point than probably anyone of the same span in terms of years um, with the Toyota racing series and, you know, all the New York Cup and, and all these kind of championships. So came in with a lot of calibre um, and, and delivered that first race win. But since then, uh, very consistent. You can't argue with that. Uh, you know, he was always around the top five uh, for the first half of the season, for sure. And even in the second half of the season, there was a couple of uh, bits and pieces that went wrong for him. But there's no really real point that you can, you can go to like you can with George, where, you know, he's had a couple of points where, reliability have cost him a massive amount of points with Lando it's quite difficult to do that Monaco was a big problem for him because he crashed in qualifying um, and that's been his biggest problem this year I'd say is, is the qualifying he's really struggled to get the most out of that Carlin car I mean how much of that do you think that's, that's driver and how much of that is Carlin because Carlin illustrious team with a big pedigree but coming back into F2 and up against teams like ART Dams you could say maybe that maybe if they're the sort of the number one teams Carlin's sort of number one and a half if you like yeah well if you look at Lando's career qualifying's always been one of his strong suits it's always been something he's been very good at uh the the difficulty with F2 is and especially for Lando which I think is the key thing is the tires because he's coming from Euro F3 where they're on Hankooks they don't need to save them too much they're not too temperamental um I hope they're not too temperamental Marcus Simmons or be giving me a, a slap on the back if they are but from from my experience of watching F3 they don't seem to be a tyre that are difficult to look after or, or temperamental in that sense with the F2 tyre we've got a situation where the teams don't have any data during the sessions um, the only time they're allowed to use sensors is in the pre-season tests so almost all the 90% of their hard work when it comes to learning about the tyres is done in the pre-season which is you know it seems alien doesn't it um, especially when you're used to F1 and you can see uh, Mercedes and Red Bull and, and the like talking about tyre temperatures all that kind of stuff they can monitor them in the sessions and the drivers are told to to cool them down or, or warm them up and there's, they're, they're warned about different types of degradation you know thermal deg or you know getting too much into tyres now but 
with F2, they, they literally drive on feel and getting the tyres into the right window is not an easy thing to do, especially when you don't know what the actual temperature is. So Lando, I think, has, has been someone who's struggled. If you look at George, he's obviously an F2 rookie, but he's had GP3 experience with the Pirellis, knows the compounds fairly well, has a rough idea of how to get them into the right window. I think Lando, although the first half of the year was good, which, uh, you know, you think if he was struggling to learn the tyres, why was the first half of the season so good? But the, the thing with the tyres is, it's not down to luck, but it, there is an element of luck involved um, warming those tyres up to the right temperature. And I think there's a couple of times where Lando in qualifying has just struggled to get them into that, you know, right into that right window. And then there's been a couple of times where he's just pushed a bit too hard. It's as simple as that. You know, Monaco is a perfect example. Um, he took uh, he took the swimming pool section quicker than he had done at any other point in the weekend and didn't get a downshift in before the before the turn. And, and that's what, you know, that's why he carried too much speed into the corner. So... It's been a it's been a difficult year to analyse for Lando. I think a lot of it has been down to the qualifying, um, and a lot of it has been down to getting used to the the Pirellis. I think for the second half of the season, he started to get used to it. When we saw him in the wet, he was you know absolutely phenomenal. When we saw him in the wet, um, but yeah, uh, it's the the car lane thing is interesting as well. Um, new to F two this year, uh, obviously with a new car, they they've definitely made mistakes at, at times, but in general they've been top five pretty much all year. So the problem for them has not been um, having a quick car it's been the combination between driver and team and just trying to find that extra couple of tents that you know Art seems to be able to drag out with George Russell and and Alex seems to seems to be able to drag out of, of Dam's sort of in qualifying as well obviously looking at this this weekend with Russell versus Alvin there, there are a lot of drivers in this field capable of winning races you know you can look all the way down to Maxi Gunter in 14th has, has got a win this year Tadasuke Makino in, uh, in 13th that great win he had uh, had at Monza so it's one of those ones where if you're George Russell and you think, well, I'll just take it easy and just cruise around and pick up a few points. It's very easy to run into all sorts of drivers who are quick enough to be ahead or people who've got something to prove for next year who could, you know, think, oh, well, he's got a championship to worry about. I can do an optimistic move. So it is a bit of a minefield. I think that's George talked about trying to just treat it as a normal weekend. And if he's on Poland at the front, then he's he's out out of trouble, isn't he? But I guess that's the trap for him, isn't he? If If he does fall into that, well, let's play it conservative. There's this whole swarm of drivers waiting to get right in the way. Yeah, I think qualifying will be a big thing for for George this weekend. If he can if he can qualify high up and and be on pole or you know be in the top five, he's got much less chance of being collected by anybody else. Yeah, it's a logical thing, isn't it? The best defence for not being taken out of a race is being at the front and making sure you you're clear and you you've got a nice advantage. But what you've just described there is basically what happened in Baku with, with Nick DeRees. You know, Nick. A uh, very experienced driver and a, a very quick one, trusted by McLaren to do its simulator work, and and still, um, you know, you'd have to argue that was a, you know, an unsuitable move by by Nick, um, and and he did get it wrong, uh, which which he had, you know, he did admit afterwards, um, but you know, if if people like Nick DeRees can make a mistake diving up the inside, then then any of the drivers can. Um, so the you know the best the best form of defence for George is to have a good qualifying and to win the race, um, and you know, depending on where Alex finishes after that then think about the sprint race it's it's really difficult for these young drivers isn't it we expect so much of them you forget Lando's 18 George is 20 and they've got they have got years of experience now and they've they've been through these kind of situations before you know George has won championships and and so has so has Lando um it's it's a really difficult situation to put them in at this age but this is what is required now we've got to a stage where people are being pulled into F1 at 18 19 20 21 
and they've got to prove that they can do the job. It's as simple as that. And that's what shows that they can make the cut and, and be in that top percentage of drivers who are good enough to make Formula One. So these kind of situations are very good. Um, they they really they really put drivers under pressure and force them to to deliver under that pressure. And I think that's what we'll see this weekend. And also, I think Lando and George will both be thinking this might be the last time we'll win a race for a while. So there'll be a lot of motivation there to to finish the season on a high and get that win uh, before they uh, you know graduate next year. Well, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? You see these drivers who have this tremendous success. I guess Formula One, Nico Hulkenberg's a good example, and Van Dorn as well. Uh, yeah, stuff with Van Dorn. Uh, you know, you can go for a very very long time not winning a race in Formula One if you don't get into the into the right car. So yeah, I imagine they want to finish their junior careers on a on a high. Now we haven't on the podcast this year talk too much about F2 so looking back over the season what have been the the big stories clearly the new car has been a big story there have been all sorts of problems they've they've worked through it seems that they've got the cars reasonably well sorted now obviously there's always some bits and pieces that that still need to be troubleshot and I guess at the start of next season they should ground well but it, it does seem that the cars are now reasonably reliable is that is that is it working as it should do now? I think we've got to a point where the cars are relatively reliable. I mean, to summarise the year, uh, the pre-season was a massive issue. Um, I think it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult one with the pre-season because there was a lot of bad weather in the you know the early part of the year, and that did curtail quite a lot of the testing for some of the F two teams, which was an issue. Um, but I think it comes down to you know the car was implemented quickly. They wanted to get the halo on the car, and they wanted to get the car competing as quickly as possible. Um, I'm not saying corners were were cut, but I do think you know more testing time you know would have been ideal for the for the car to be perfectly ready for the start of the season. And, and inevitably, integrating a halo into the car is not actually that that straightforward. No, no, absolutely not, and it adds a lot of weight to the car as well. So you know that affects performance quite heavily. High up as well, so COG problem. Absolutely. Um, so so it's difficult. People like Artem Markov, for example, earlier in the season said that they thought the car should have been introduced for 2019 rather than 2018. There was obviously a lot of pressure there to get the halo in for the safety device. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons. We can sit here all day and talk about how they've introduced the car too quickly. But in the third round of the season, you could argue the halo probably saved Tadasuki Makino's life or at least stopped him from getting a very serious head injury. So, you know, that kind of justifies the decision a bit, doesn't it? You know, we can we can get caught up in the nitty gritty of uh, a championship introducing a car too quick, but also uh, arguably a man's health uh, has been improved massively by having that there. So yeah, that's kind of the first big test of the halo accident, wasn't it? If you remember the photos of Spain, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was at Barcelona and uh, it was uh, Nerefa Kazumi in the, in the Arden car. So it was the two Honda proteges taking each other out. Um, but yeah, I think Tadasuki was quite, um, he was quite shaken after that, but um you know, was very grateful that, that you know the the car had the halo. I think the, the you can summarise the issues quite quickly. The the clutch has been one that's been very difficult. Uh, there was a problem with the software where the the paddles on the steering wheel weren't modulating the amount of clutch that was being pulled in, basically. So um, the reading might have been ten percent, but it actually went to minus ten percent and then back up to ten percent, which you know dropped it below the bite point and that would stall the car. They fixed that issue quite quickly. Um, but then the you know the manoeuvrability of the clutch was quite difficult and we saw a lot of people getting away slowly um, or just struggling to start the car uh, anyway and you know the, the F2 car previously wasn't an easy car to start by any means we, you know we did see stalls with that car um, but it got to a point by mid-season um, you know I think Barcelona actually in the third round they tried to bring some uh, you know make some changes and the, the software did help but it didn't fix the issue uh, and then we got to uh, we had the rolling starts in Red Bull Ring and, and Silverstone because the, the FIA were unhappy with the situation. There were some worries about safety. Um, you know, I think I think that came a little bit late because we had uh, we had Monaco 
um, which is not a track where you want people stored at the start and, and cars coming through at you know, 50, 60 miles an hour and, and driving into the back of a stationary car. So from a safety point of view, you know, I think that should have come sooner, but it did come for, for the Red Bull Ring and we had the two rolling start races, Red Bull Ring and Silverstone. That, that posed a very interesting uh, topic in the F2 paddock because there were those who were pushing for the clutch changes to be made, but there was also some teams who'd you know, found a pretty good, pretty good balance with it and they were very upset at the rolling starts because it, their advantage had been taken away. There was quite a few teams, uh, sh- like Sharus, for example, were quite good with the starts, um, even though they were a new team. Uh, there, was a, there was a couple of teams who kind of mastered that and a couple of drivers who worked very hard with their engineers to, to really get that right. Pramer, another one, Nick DeReese, worked very hard with his engineer to, to make sure they weren't stalling. Um, so after Silverstone, um, the, the new clutch basket came in, if you like, um, and a, a mandated map. So the, the F2 teams could only use one map to start the car under any circumstance uh, and it seems to have worked we've not seen too many stalls since then uh, there's been one or two but nothing nothing major um, and the, the car definitely seems to be moving in the right direction and then the other problem was the you know we had problems with throttle sensor which you know you can only you can only assume as a parts problem because the throttle sensor is the you know the thing that is that is breaking if you like the actual sensor isn't breaking but it's not giving the correct reading so that seems to have um, been well, it definitely seems to have improved over the last sort of five or six races, I'd say. Um, and then there's been a couple of instances of turbos or, or the engine have blown up, which, you know, it's very difficult because uh, introducing a turbo engine is never going to be easy, especially to a, a single make formula where you're supposed to be moderating the cost. It's always going to be a difficult thing. Um, so we have seen a few engines go this year and we've seen people like Ralph Boschung had engine issues for three or four races. And, you know, we saw him finishing his season early, which is unfortunate. Um, but towards the end of the season, car does seem to be sorted, and it looks like uh, whoever does take take to F two next year um, will have, you know, an acceptable package that should last for the rest of the season. The only disappointing thing really is that, you know, arguably George Russell should already be already be the F two champion uh, quite a while ago if it wasn't for these issues, um, and it has cost some people who are further down the order. You know, maybe they would have finished higher up. You can sit here and say. Uh, maybe forever, can't we? We can analyse every single race result and say this person might have finished here, this person might have finished here. It's too much. Uh, that's too hypothetical for for my liking. I think you can always say this person might have finished here, but then that changes another person's position and the whole thing turns into a massive. And, and ultimately, it's hard to argue with the with the championship order at the top, anyway. Yeah, so that's, yeah. That's I think I think positive. if you if you look at the if you look at the championship order, um, I think the only person who could argue uh, should be a little bit uh, maybe should be in a different place is, is Sergio said to camera. Um, but apart from that, I think the, uh, the the top ten looks pretty much as it should. And there's people outside of the top ten who, you know, maybe could have made that step into it and, and have had problems. But I, I think it's difficult to argue with that top ten. I think it's a very strong top ten, and I think those drivers who are in it have deserved to be there. Well, let's circle back to where we started and the, and the, and the championship decider. It, it seems to me that this almost certainly should be a George Russell coronation, shouldn't it? Can you see anything getting away? Because even if he doesn't score any points, let's say gets taken out in both races the chances of Alex Alden getting enough points with that opposition is quite is quite slim isn't it something, but, but possible 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 something needs to happen to George in the first race I think if, if, if he gets a decent score under his belt in the first race I think that'll be too much um, m- both mentally and uh, physically so uh, it's going to be an, it's going to be an interesting one I think a, a strong a strong opening race for George a strong practice and a strong qualifying will, will be really important for George uh, Alex can do got it. Four points for pole as well. So if he can get, if he can top qualifying, that's half the battle won, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's four of the, you know, the forty-eight that are offer is is for pole. So that that'll be that'll be closely fought by those guys actually. And I think um, it's the last race of the year. You always get that sort of 
happy-go-lucky attitude that you get in F2 in that last race of the season where everyone wants to win and everyone wants to everyone wants to win practice, never mind qualifying and, and the race. You know, it's uh, it's a very competitive weekend. Uh, if you know, even if the the rest of the season isn't uh, that competitive, you know, the last race is always massively competitive, and we have had a competitive year in F2 on track as we discussed earlier. So it's going to be an interesting one. It's also going to be an interesting fight to see. Uh, you know, technically Nick DeVries can still catch Lando Norris. He's not. Uh, he's not a million miles away there. Uh, we could also see a shuffle between Markov and Camera in fifth and sixth. Um, Sergio said to Camera is someone we've not discussed. Who arguably is one of the stars of the season. Really, I think um, he might be down in sixth, but uh, he's had so many issues. Uh, ran out of fuel while in second in in Baku. Um, a piece of rubber flung up and hit the the shutdown switch on the car in Barcelona and the fire extinguisher went off and it, it looked like he was going to get a good result and he just emerged from the car covered in foam which was just the uh, unbelievable and and he's he's really had some bad luck this year he really has and his his average finish is not far off off Lando's at all uh, they're very simple in fact for much of the season Sergio had a higher uh, average qualifying position and a higher average finishing position than Lando Norris it was just those uh, you know problems because Lando's been very lucky with reliability issues uh, he's not had that many whereas Sergio's had quite a few and uh, you know I think it's a great decision by McLaren to take him on board as Sergio said to camera we're talking about now I think it's a great decision for them to take him on board and see where he can go now because it's been a very similar situation to Alex Albon Sergio said to camera you know okay he's with MP Motorsport which is not the best team in, in F2 and you know they've they've not been this season either um, in, in 2017 and then he switched to, to Carlin this year and once he's been given the same car as Lando Norris he's basically been on Lando's pace or better than it so he's definitely been one of the most impressive drivers this season for me and one who definitely came out of nowhere in, in that respect um, also we know Brazil they love to have a Formula 1 driver um, the companies out there uh, it's a little bit difficult in the political situation at the minute for, for that to happen I think but in a few years time we could see a, a big Brazilian company backing a, a driver to be back in Formula 1 again you know, last weekend was the first time in, in many, many years that we've not had a Brazilian driver on the grid, wasn't it? So it's, uh, I think there'll be a lot of momentum behind him in the next few years that will, you know, help him. And I think he'll be back in F2 next year where he'll be a, a, a very interesting prospect to see how he gets on. Well, I think you've set the scene very well for the Abu Dhabi title side and also given us a bit of a refresher course on, on F2 this season. So thanks very much, Jack Pennion. Head to allsport.com for all the latest news from F2 from the Abu Dhabi weekend. Uh, Jack will be in the paddock uh, over the course of the weekend bringing you all the latest. Check out our Plus subscriber area. All sorts of in-depth features, columns, opinions from the world's leading motorsport journalists. Check out sister titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and motorsport.com. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Wendy's knows cold and soggy fries are the worst. So soggy. That's why we're serving up hot and crispy fries all day, every day. And all night. Until close. With natural cut potatoes, sea salted to perfection. Show me that potato skin. Wendy's hot and crispy aren't like other fries. We're your dream fry. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's hot and crispy fries. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. If yours aren't, bring them back and we'll replace them. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.